2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 15. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, whilst you find that, uh, just as a bit of an introduction really, um, this sermon is the end of a three-part series that um, I've been looking at, which is looking at Peter and who he is um, in the Bible. We see uh, the first part that I did was looking at Peter in the Gospels. Um, so we covered uh, four books in one sermon. Uh, we weren't here for too many days. It was only three weeks that we were here for that. Um, then we had to look to see um, who Peter was in the book of Acts. And now we'll be looking at um, Peter's books that he wrote, 1 and 2 Peter, and what he's saying through these to us. Um, we find that this must be his most important things that he wants to get across. Um, he says in our passage that um, these will be his final things that he'll say because he's aware that he'll be dying soon. So therefore these are the top list of things that he wants to tell his people. Um, there's two main, thing, sorry, two main themes that I'll be picking out. One is about grace and one is about holy living. Just to pick up the holy living uh, part, uh, this week we've had the privilege of uh, staying at Chris and Rachel's house and house-sitting for them. Um, part of that uh, was quite fun, just to look at the books that they had on the shelves and to see where Chris gets all his jokes from. Um, there was even a, a huge joke book that was sitting open. Uh, my home group know this. We, we were looking through it, and I looked through two pages, and I didn't laugh at anything. So it's quite sad, really. We need to buy him some better joke books. However, what I did find, and I've stolen from his house, so he'll, um, he'll come and hunt me down later, I'm sure, um, is the world's stupidest laws. And as we'll be talking a bit about holy living, I'll just read a few out to you. Um, did you know that in your own country, uh, in Britain, we find that until recently, it was against the law to sell most goods on Sunday, although it's always been acceptable to sell carrots on Sundays? Don't know why. Um, beds must not be hung out of windows. Just in case you attempted to do that later on today, you cannot put your bed out of your window. Uh, we find that it's against the law to eat mince pies on the 25th of December, which is actually the day that we tend to eat them. And this is one for uh, James and Andrew. Um, the English bit isn't, because you're both Welsh, but all Englishmen over 14 years old are meant to carry out about two hours of longbow practice a week under the supervision of the local clergy. <laughs> so in two years' time... Please hassle Nigel to take you for two hours of longbow practice a week. I'm sure he'll enjoy that, and so will you. And these are some that you might have heard about. Um, if you take me to Chester as a Welsh person, you know what's coming with this one, don't you? Um, you can shoot me with a bow and arrow as long as the event occurs within the city walls and after midnight. However... If you take me to Hereford, you can shoot me any time of the day you want. <laughs> but it's got to be on a Sunday with a longbow in the cathedral close. Okay? I'm not going to repeat that one, just in case. And in case Scots people feel a little bit left out, you can take them to York, and it's perfectly legal to shoot them. However, it's got to be with a bow and arrow, and it can't be on a Sunday. However, there is a get-out clause with that one. 
You can shoot them on a Sunday if they pass wind. <laughs> finally, I suppose I could just read this book as my sermon, can I? Um, finally, we find that in Nicholas County, which seems to be a little county of, uh, of America, no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during a church service. So, <laughs> right, let's have a look at some scriptures, shall we? So, 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, by grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are ever-increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be a rich blessing provided to you on entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that my departure, you will be able to, at any time, recall these things. This passage seems quite contradictory. We see at the start, uh, Peter is talking about our righteousness coming from God. He's talking about God's granting things to us. It says that God has called us. He has elected us. However, we're also told to make every effort to live in a certain way and to make our election and calling sure. This can't be true. As we look at this, we think, actually, it's one or the other. Either we're saved by grace or we're saved by works. Surely they can't go together. Um, in here we find that um, salvation is a sovereign act of God. But also, Peter is told us to earnestly possess these qualities and make our calling and election sure. So therefore, what I'll be doing in this sermon is trying to unpack that. Um, the first part of my sermon is going to be looking at what Christ has done for us and who he has made us. And then the second part is going to look at what we're told to do in terms of lifestyle. And then the third part will try and put these two together and see if they actually link. So let's look at the first part. What has Christ done and who are we? What I'll be doing in this part is 
looking at the passage, but also um, looking at some points that I found in 1 and 2 Peter. If you want the quotes for this, you can come to me afterwards. Otherwise, I'll just be reading out lots and lots of scripture verses. So I've just summarized it. We find that we're born again to a living hope. We're born again for something that is imperishable. We have an inheritance which is imperishable. We have a joy that is inexpressible. We're filled with glory. We're the fulfillment of many prophecies. Our salvation was long told about. Angels long to look into our salvation. We're granted God's gracious and very precious promises. We're God's children, like Lewis was talking about earlier. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're God's people. Christ was made manifest for us. We've been ransomed from futile ways. We've escaped from the corruption that is in the world. We're a people who are free. Our sins are paid for once and for all. We're a spiritual house, which Christ is our cornerstone. We are being built to be a holy priesthood. We've been returned to the shepherd. We've been brought to God through Christ's righteousness. We are stewards of God's varied grace, each of us having received a gift from God. We have had all things granted to us that pertain to life and godliness through Christ's divine power. We are called to his own glory and excellence. We are called and elected. That's just a brief overview of what you find in 1 and 2 Peter. And if you look through Ephesians, Paul uses the similar language to that as well. It's extraordinary. This is who we are. So we can be in no doubt that our salvation is a sovereign act of God. I just want to unpack some of those things. If we look at 2 Peter 1 verse 4, it says that we're granted God's precious and very great promises. As we have read, our salvation has long been told about. It's a profound mystery. Angels long to look into our salvation. They cannot understand the grace that God has bestowed on us. We find that Christ was made manifest for us. We find that the word became flesh for us. The Messiah was long prophesied about, but became flesh for us for this time. We need to go back to uh, the beginning in order to see where all of this comes from. If we look at creation, we find that God's created all things, and he called it good. We see that there was creatures of all varieties. He created uh, creatures on the land. He created creatures that would be in the sea and creatures that would be in the sky. And we're still yet discovering some of those. Um, We find that uh, he made stars in the sky. Again, we still don't know the limits of those. We still don't know how many other galaxies are out there. Uh, We find that he made the sun and the moon. We are investing fortunes into trying to discover more about the moon. Uh, We can't approach the sun, such as its power. But we find that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We see that man was made in God's image. We were created for a relationship with him. We're the best part of God's creation. Sometimes we don't feel it. I certainly don't. When I look at all of these creatures, I think, surely they're far greater than I am. But actually, we are made in God's own image. Nothing else is made in that way. We find with Abraham, 
um, at a time when his wife was barren and he was old. Uh, God told him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand, which is a phenomenal promise that was made. And we are the fulfillment of that. We've become these descendants. Um, We also see that God took a man named Jacob and he renamed him Israel. And he was told that a nation would come from him. Israel then became a nation uh, that was chosen by God to be distinct from all of the nations around them. We find that uh, they were chosen not because of their stature. They were not a great nation. They were few in number, but God chose them because he loved them. There was nothing that called God to them, but God chose them. Alongside this, we see that a Messiah was promised about who would liberate them. We see that Jews and Gentiles weren't able to share an inheritance before that. Um, There was a dividing wall between them. But Christ came and he smashed that barrier. And now we are partakers of this divine nature. We are fellow ears with the Jews. It's a great mystery that we have been brought into. This is us. Why? Because grace. It was nothing that we did. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Another part of this, we see that uh, we're being built into a spiritual house that will display God's glory. Again, if we look back in the Old Testament, we see that God demonstrated his glory amongst his people. He wanted to dwell with his people. We find that he did that in the ark, in the tabernacle. Uh, we see that he did it in the temple. His God's, sorry, God's glory dwelt among his people. And he wanted to be amongst them. And now we are being built into that uh, very temple. We are becoming this spiritual house that God's glory will dwell amongst. He desires to dwell among us, which I find extraordinary. That If you look through Leviticus, there's thousands of laws of how the Israelites were supposed to live. And yet God wants to uh, dwell amongst us. And he wants to use us to demonstrate his glory. As Lewis was saying earlier as well, we've become God's children. We're adopted into God's family. We've become co-heirs with Christ. We have an internal inheritance. God is our father. We are his children. He will love us and look after us. It's extraordinary. I find that, that the truth of this just blew me away when I was looking, when I was preparing the sermon I just stopped and I I couldn't get any further for quite some time. I was just blown away looking at this gospel that we find. We've got an awesome God who loves us and he chose us to be his. Nothing that we did. He chose us to be his. And he has made us a new people. So let's look at the bit that doesn't fit so comfortably with us. Let's look at how we're to live. Again, I'm just going to summarize some of the things that are said in 1 and 2 Peter. They are in here. They're not heresy, honestly. Uh, You can come and ask for the references later if you want. We're told to not conform to our former ignorance. We're told to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I'm just finding this hard, and I've just started this. Um, Take the envy one, for example. Uh, When we went down to Sussex recently, as we were driving down the motorway, we were overtaken by some pretty nice cars. Um, To start with, um, in the Midlands, we start to be overtaken by things like Porsches, uh, which I'm sure that Alex would uh, very much like. Uh, He'd like to replace his bag with 
the real thing. Um, but actually, as we went a bit further, we were overtaken by Bentleys and Astons, which I'm sure Peter would like. Um, and I looked at them, and although I'm very happy with uh, the car that we have, um, an Almira doesn't really um, compare with an Aston or with a Bentley. Um, and there's a bit of me that thinks, oh, I'd quite like that. Um, so I find that even I've just started this, and I find this difficult to live up to. We're told to submit to authority, to submit to our government. We've seen through the newspapers for a few weeks now about the MPs, and we're told to look at them and um, to mock them for what they've done. But actually, the Bible tells us to submit to them. Servants are told to submit to their master, even if their masters are unjust. That sounds really difficult. We're told to love the brotherhood, to honour everyone, to honour the emperor. Well, we don't have an emperor, but we've got Gordon Brown. Um, I wouldn't really want to tell him that he's an emperor. I think he'd get caught away with that, possibly. Um, but actually, he acts as our emperor. He's in charge of our country, and we're called to honour him. That's quite hard to do at times. This is one that I might have to hide behind here for. Wives are called to be subject to their husbands, even if they're not yet a Christian. I know that Fleur probably finds that really difficult, because I'm not great at times, and she's still called to be subject to me. But, comes my responsibility, I'm told to show understanding and to honour my wife and treat her with equality. That's difficult to do at times, because I think, go and do this for me. Um, you know, I, I go to her, um, I can't really be bothered to go into the kitchen, go and get it for me. Um, but actually, I'm told to treat her well. And if you're single here, you're not let off it either. All of us are told to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, and to not repay evil with evil, but instead of this, to bless. Again, um, a travelling one that I found with this, um, we went down some country roads yesterday as we went to visit Fleur's family, and we found that, you know those traffic queues that you get stuck in where there's um, just a single country road and you've got a tractor in front of you? It is so difficult. Um, you want to overtake it, but you don't want to get killed. You see that there's a lot of traffic building up behind you, and just as you're about to make your move, you find that a car goes flying past you. Do I sit there and go, I'm so pleased for you that you've gone past me. Please, please keep going. Or do I sit there going, you've chosen that path. I hope that a car comes and hits you. Or I hope that your car breaks down. Honestly, at times, I probably think the latter rather than the former. Um, but we're called to not have envy, to not um, think in this way. We're told to be sober-minded and self-controlled. I know that I don't do that all the time. I know that if you put a bag of peanuts in front of me, I will eat the whole thing. And then if you put another bag in front of me, I will eat it again. I could probably come on your meal, guys, and eat that £100 worth of peanuts instead. <laughs> um, probably be a waste of your money, I'm sorry. Um, but I find it difficult. I find it difficult to be self-controlled. Uh, another part we find that um, if you just want to aim for one, okay, this is the one that Peter says is most important. He says, keep loving each other earnestly. So if you want to just do one, do that. But I find that one difficult. Do I honestly stand here and think, I earnestly want to love each of you? 
you know, I don't. I don't at times. I, I think, God, it's going to be difficult to, to love people, but sometimes we just do it. But actually we're told to be earnest in our love of each other. So we should be thinking of what we can do to build each other up. That's really tough. We're told to show hospitality without grumbling. I don't do that. Uh, when the students come to our house for student lunch, yes, we feed them well. I think we do anyway. Um, but what, after I've hoovered before they come over in order to make our house look wonderful, and Richard walks in with his muddy boots and puts mud all across my carpet, um, as he then sits there um, in the front room, making himself well at home, <laughs> making sure that he puts all of the rubbish on the floor, that he makes the front room smell like a boy. I'm going to leave that up to you. If he was a Scotsman, we could have shot him. Um, it's difficult. I have got to do this hospitality thing without grumbling at him, but instead do it loving him. That's really tough. One that goes with that, I think, is that we're called to suffer with rejoicing. So as I'm suffering all of this from Richard, I will rejoice next time. So when you guys come round, expect me to be there with a smile on my face, <laughs> enduring it all. <laughs> um, another one that's, um, that is in here, we find that elders are told to shepherd the flock, not out of compulsion, but out of willingness. Now surely Nigel finds that difficult to do, to look at me and think, I really, really want to shepherd Rupert. I really want to do it. Now surely he looks at me and goes, I've got to put up with him today. You know, but he's called to, to love me and all of you guys um, with willingness and to love us. We're told to resist the devil and to stand firm in the grace of God. We're told to be diligent to make our calling and election sure. And if you want all of this summarized, we find in our passage here that Peter puts it quite plainly. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So we find that Everything that we've just talked about can probably be summarized by that. If we live that way, that's exactly as we should be living as Christians now. And we find that it's not just Peter who talks about this way. We find that Paul says exactly the same in his letter to the Ephesians, except that he also adds that thieves should stop being thieves and start living honestly. Surely that's really tough. If you went to a thief... Um, if you went up to Kai Park or somewhere like that and said, right, stop thieving. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you went up there and said, stop thieving, I'm sure that actually they might turn around to you and say, no, I can't. But we should be going to them and saying, just stop thieving. Have an honest life. Um, we also find that when we get angry, we should not sin, but we should only speak well of others. Can we do that one? So when, when I am in a situation that causes me anger, do I just sit there and uh, get on with it? Or do I get um, into sinful behavior? Do I shout at someone? Do I take out my frustrations on someone? Usually because my wife is closest to me, she's the one who gets it. Actually, we're cool not to do that. One for families, children should obey their parents. 
Do you want me to bring them in in order to tell them that one? <laughs> um, but also, fathers are told not to provoke their children. So it's, it's difficult. This is a really difficult way of living. Surely, this way is not compatible with a, a gospel of grace. Surely, this is not the gospel that Christ preached. Or is it? We find that Christ did preach this same gospel. He set a standard that were much higher than the laws of that day. And the laws of that day were difficult enough to follow. An example of this, if, if you look in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you find that Jesus says, um, you have heard it said that the law tells you this way, now I set you this. We find that um, what was a law, he sets a much higher standard instead. An example of this is in verse 43. He tells you, um, I tell you to live, sorry, I've got messed up there. We, we find in verse 43, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's difficult. We find that even Jesus is telling us to live this way. So surely this is the gospel that we're called to. So how do these two fit together? Again, I just want to come back to our passage. We find in verse 4, we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we're told, for this very reason, live like this. So we find that we're saved from the corruption. Today, if there was to be a fire in this room, you would follow that exit sign and you would run out of here. And you hopefully wouldn't think, I want to run back into that fire. You would stay out of there. You would stay in safety. And this is what Peter is saying to us. He is saying that we have been saved from the corruption in the world. By God's grace, uh, we have been purchased. We are now saved. We find that a huge price was paid for us to purchase us out of sin. So why would we want to go back to it? We forget that we were brought out of something. We don't think about it constantly. So we honestly wake up every morning and think, I was brought out of um, sin, I was brought out of corruption. Now we get so used to the surroundings that we live in. We get so used uh, to the way that everyone else lives. But actually we're called to be different. Um, again, this week we found that uh, we were looking after not just the house that we were staying in for Chris and Rachel, we were also looking after uh, one of their dogs, uh, a little Jack Russell called Chili. Um, and I think that Chili ate too much at one point because something came out of its front end um, onto the floor. And um, rather than just thinking, oh, I'm going to stay away from that, um, a couple of moments passed and she came back to it and thought, oh, that looks tasty. Where did that come from? And decided that she was going to eat it. So I jumped up off the chair and grabbed her and took her away from it. Um, and we actually see that this example is biblical as well. We find that there's a proverb, there's a proverb that says that um, we can be like a dog who returns to his vomit. And that is exactly what that's about. But we can be like that as well. We forget that we were saved from these evil ways. We were saved from sin. We weren't saved to sin. We were saved from it. So surely we're called to live away from that. And we find within all of this, 
that we need to have this, this whole thing that we were saved to something else. We weren't just saved out of something, but we were saved to something. We were saved to God's glory and excellence, something that was far better. We're now called to holiness. Peter has called, has called us in here to be holy because God is holy. Our example is not the world. Our example is God. If you want to know how to live, look at him. That's the way that we're called to live. We've been called to be part of this amazing spiritual house that we were talking about. If this spiritual house um, is this place that God's glory is to, be to, is to be displayed to all people, then that's how we should be living, as a place where God's glory is fitting to dwell. We find that our lifestyle should be distinct from those around us. Um, if we look at the Old Testament example, Israel was called to be different from those nations around them, called to be distinct from those people. And it was actually because they weren't living that way that God was frustrated with them. God had called them to be separate and distinct, and they didn't live that way. See, in this uh, very room, we've got a doctor sitting over there, Jonathan. Um, and I can tell you that he is really a doctor. Um, but if I was to stand here and say, I'm a doctor, you would want to see two things. You would firstly want to see my qualification, and secondly, you would want to see my practice. I could probably make a pretty good forgery of my qualification. I could have a look at Jonathan's certificate, um, and I could see what I need to do in order to prove it, and I could have that sitting up on my wall. However, when you come to me and say that you've got, um, I don't know, you've got a stomach complaint, and I start looking um, up your nose instead, or start looking at your toe, you're going to know pretty quickly that I'm not a doctor. Um, and we find the same with being a Christian, that actually through our conduct, people will be able to see it if we're saved or not. It's not actually um, our works that save us, it's the fruit of who we are. Because we are saved, we act in a certain way. We find that it's this conduct that actually sets us apart amongst people. We've actually received God's lavish grace. And many of us have probably received wonderful gifts as, as we've lived, and uh, we probably have looked at them and thought, whoa, this is amazing. But if we receive that gift and we're not thankful to the person who's given us that gift, it seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? If you were to come here and you were to say, right, Rupert, here's a season ticket to go and watch Cardiff City. Um, I'm paying for all of your transport as well. I would be over the moon. I wouldn't just run off um, and throw it in the bin. Actually, I would want to enjoy that gift that you've given me, but also I'd be so grateful to you for doing that. Just to note, my birthday's coming up soon. Um, <laughs> Nigel, if you, if you want to do that, that'd be great. Sorry? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that bit. Um, Anyway, uh, but that is a big hint. If you do want to do that for me, I'd be very, very grateful. Uh, we also find, um, as, a, <laughs> as a theme which was coming up earlier, uh, we find that we're to live with an eternal perspective. See, we're, we're no longer temporary people. Yes, we've got temporary bodies and these will die, but actually we've got an eternal soul and we're called to live in that way. 
Um, we find that if we were to live in a temporary manner, then all of these sorts of um, ways that come, come to us that are sensual, would it be very fitting for us to actually engage with those. But we have been given a way that is worth far more than that. We find that there's some examples of how to live um, in the world, but to be different. Noah endured mocking when he was building the ark. It must have been horrific. Can you imagine that, um, I don't know, say Denzel and Dorothy this afternoon um, decide that they're going to go to Bellevue Park and build an ark in the middle of it, a huge boat in the middle of Bellevue Park. It's not going to get anywhere near water, is it? And some of us, although we love and respect Denzel and Dorothy, we might say a few comments behind their back, or some of us might even be bold enough to say, you're being ridiculous. But Noah endured that because he knew that it was what God had told him to do. It was an eternal perspective that he had. Jesus laid aside his majesty when he, um, when he came to the earth. He laid it aside and he endured the cross because he knew what it would win. He knew that it would win us to him. He knew that it would defeat death, it would defeat sin, and it would reconcile man and God. So that's why he did it. And that's our example. We're called to live for eternity instead. So we find um, at the end of chapter 3 that we're called to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Now, when I was um, a very small child, um, the church that we were in was quite legalistic, and we were told uh, to not go to the cinema on a Sunday. Um, We were told not to even go there at all, um, because if you were there and Christ returned at the time whilst you were in the cinema, you would not be taken with him. Um, That is not what Peter is talking about in this passage. What he's talking about is what you're watching in the cinema instead. Would you really want to be sitting there watching something that that, um, doesn't glorify God, something that isn't wholesome at the moment that Christ returns? We don't know when he's returning, but he is returning. How do we want to be found by him? It should be something that motivates us. So we find also that... uh, each of us will be repaid for what we have done, and so will the unrighteous. Now there's a a wonderful phrase that I want to hear when I enter the kingdom, which is, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that should be something that motivates us on earth. When there's a choice between something that's temporary or something that's eternal, think about that welcome that you'll receive in heaven. I want to come to um, a bit that looks very difficult um, I've got to admit that um, probably some, sometime in my early teens when I started to um, look through the scriptures and not just see them as something to read but something to, to really look at, um, I found this passage quite difficult. Peter says in verse 10 that practicing, by practicing these ways we will never fall. Now I thought that meant that there was the possibility of me falling away from grace, that there was a possibility of me actually... Um, not entering the kingdom, of me losing my salvation. But I don't think that that's what Peter's talking about here. What, what I believe that he's saying is that by living this way that we've been talking about, by living a lifestyle that is different, and by adding all these qualities to us, it prevents us from being taken off by other teaching. 
It prevents us from going into um, all of these corrupt ways. I want to suggest that if we look at it in context, we find that um, later on we're, we're told that it keeps us strong and helps us to be able to discern what is truth and what is heresy. See, our salvation is a sovereign act of God, so that can never be taken away. We are secure in Christ, and we are God's prized possession. That's not going to change. But Peter is saying that by living in the way that we've looked at, we'll be able to stand firm when false teachers come amongst us. Peter says that it will happen. There will be people who will come in and try and lead people in other ways. Now, I'd suggest that Peter's talking in here about people who are recent converts. Have a look at the passage yourself. He, he talks mainly about uh, young converts being those people who are drawn away. Um, the, the words he used are talking about enticing people away. So the traps will look good. They will really look good. Because, say, for example, a mouse. If you want to catch a mouse, you don't put... Um, you know, something deadly there and just leave it by itself, you disguise it as a trap. You try and allure them into it. And it'll be the same. People will come along with ways that look really, really good. But unless we're careful, we'll go into those ways and be caught in traps. So an example of this is if you look at Andrew and Angie, they've got a beautiful child um, called Phoebe. Now, if you were to sit her down on the floor and leave her for a bit with a bottle of bleach and a bottle of milk... She doesn't know which one's which. She only knows which one's which because her mum and dad give her the right one and they also make sure that she doesn't go for the wrong one. In the same way, there's quite a calling to us who are more mature in the faith to help out recent converts and to help them know which way they should follow. These ways will keep us firm. See, we're, we're not a people who are saved by works, we're a people who are saved by grace. Our works are just a demonstration of our salvation. Just to conclude, we've seen that we're a privileged people. We're a people that are the fulfillment of age-long promises. Our salvation is a sovereign act of God. He called us, he elected us, and we now belong to him. And that's not going to change. He's given us a new identity Christ ransomed us from our former ways to his glory and to his excellence. He's called us to be holy because he is holy. To answer the question that I posed at the start, can grace and works go together? Yes. Do we earn our salvation through works? No. Our works are motivated from the grace that we've received. The law was once written down on tablets of stone, but now it's written in our hearts. We know what to do and how to live because Christ has put that in us. Lucas and Green, in their commentary on uh, 2 Peter, summarise these truths um, in a wonderful statement, which I just want to read out. They say that the wonderful truth that Christians have been eternally called and chosen is not an abstract matter of irrelevant theology, which requires no response apart from an intellectual sense. Rather, the evidence that we have been called and chosen will be the energy that we put into making our calling and election sure. So we find that we're not to be living um, in our former ways because that's something that was in the past. We're called to live a new way. 
We're not called to live that way because it will earn our salvation. We're called to live that way out of gratitude of what Christ has done for us. And we can test the fruit of us by simply looking to see if it's, um, if it's a way that is different to the world. Let's put our energy into making sure that we're firm in our salvation. I just want to pray a moment. Lord, I want to thank you that we belong to you. I thank you that our salvation is secure, that we belong to you. Lord, I want to thank you that um, we are written into your book of life and you won't scrub us out of that. We belong to you. I want to thank you for your grace. Lord, I want to thank you that uh, me coming to you wasn't to do with um, anything great on my behalf. You didn't look at me and say, I want him because he does X, Y, and Z. Lord, you looked at me and chose me before I even came to be. And you love me. Lord, I want to thank you that you have called us um, to be a family. You've called us to be one together in your body. Lord, I want to thank you that these are things that can never be taken away. I want to pray that you would help us to daily be motivated by your grace. Lord, let your grace not be something that we become um, common with, not something that we look at and we take for granted, but instead something that motivates us to live for you and to demonstrate your glory to other people. Lord, you say that if we live that way, then people will turn to you because of our conduct. Help us to live in that way, Lord. Amen.